Hello, welcome back. This is MLEX's podcast, bringing you the top stories in regulatory affairs with the assistance of our team of reporters around the world. My name is James Paniki. I'm an MLEX senior editor coming to you from the LexisNexis offices in Melbourne, Australia. Now, the US's two antitrust regulatory agencies have been in the news of late, in particular as a result of their increasingly muscular approach to big tech. And it's against this backdrop that the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice have published new merger guidelines. The document outlines 13 principles that the agencies will consider when reviewing transactions. Of great significance for merging companies are the tighter thresholds that have been put forward, thresholds that appear to reflect the agency's greater determination to tackle big tech. Of course, it's a proposal at this stage. It's open for comment, so I guess nothing is set in stone. But it has already sparked quite a debate in the US. To walk us through the controversy, I've assembled three members of our North American mergers team. Flavia Fortes is our global head of mergers. Ben Brody is a senior M&A reporter. Ilana Kowarski is also a senior M&A reporter. Now, Flavia, uh, firstly, can you tell us if there were any surprises with the new draft guidelines and what's new about them? Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, There weren't really surprises with the draft guidelines. We we expected it to reflect the administration's goals for stronger antitrust enforcement. And they have new topics and and theories of harm. They were already in the radar that either the agency's officials were already disclosing that they're going to include in the guidelines or from the agency's past practices uh, for the past couple of years in, in merger enforcement. Uh, There are several new topics that we didn't see in in prior guidelines, uh, such as entrenchment concerns, roll-up strategies, uh, transactions involving multi-sided platforms, and and labor considerations. So uh, traditionally, uh, the agencies looked at whether transactions create overlaps, horizontal overlaps, or a vertical integration. Now the agency will also be looking at adjacent markets, um, whether a deal may entrench or extend a firm's dominant position. The agency have also considered transactions in light of cumulative acquisitions. Um, so acquisitions by private equity firms, they will be scrutinized not only by a, a single acquisition will create harm, but whether the, the overall um, acquisitions uh, raise, may raise concerns. The draft guidelines uh, address mergers involving multi-sided platforms. They, they assert that a, there's a strong tendency uh, toward consolidation in sectors with multi-sided platforms. So, so that's, that's another one to be watching for. And, and finally, uh, with regards to labor, uh, that's, this is also the first one that includes labor concerns. Uh, so they're looking at the impact of the deal on labor. So, so they say that any loss of labor, uh, any loss of competition in the labor market cannot be offset um, by benefits in a separate downstream uh, product market. And what's interesting about these guidelines, uh, now it reads more like a legal memo uh, with details about the agency's thinking. Um, so it's much more reader friendly. And they remove the emphasis on, on the market definition. And, and they set up a menu of frameworks under which the agencies may bring a case. So there's 13 uh principles or frameworks, and, and, and many of those represent a much lower bar for DOJ and the FTC to find harm than, than prior guidelines. And they're also switching the burden uh, to the parties to prove that their transaction is not anti-competitive. So an example for that is the structural presumptions. They, they lower the structural presumptions. So for example, they, they if a deal creates a, a market share greater than 30%, 
um, and, in, and there's a, a change in concentration of 100 points in, in a concentration index, it will be considered presumptively anti-competitive. Flavia, now these guidelines may indeed be more readable, reader-friendly, but they aren't binding on the courts, right? So do we expect these changes to be accepted by the judges that, that deal with these cases? Yeah, so, so the relevance of the guidelines is, is really derived from how the courts will adopt them, right? And, and, and many practitioners are, are expecting the acceptance to be limited, uh, and that's because the agencies cherry-pick the, the case law, you know, the, the previous cases that they, they cite are all from the appellate court or Supreme Court decisions. Uh, and there are uh, recent important cases that weren't included, in, including from circuit courts as well. And, and in particular, say that district courts also, even though they're not binding um, the decisions from the district courts, they do develop the theories of harm and clarify burdens for, for merger cases. So, so this could definitely prompt the judge to question the, the application of the new guidelines. Ben, let me bring you into the conversation. The U.S. agencies have been open about their fight against dominant big tech. Do you see that reflected in the guidelines? Oh, uh, absolutely. And, and you're right. They have been uh, incredibly open about it. Uh, the way that I've sort of been thinking about this is uh, a couple of years ago, the FTC said um, that they're really kind of focusing in on the small acquisitions uh, the big tech kind of made over the last decade or two. And they say that uh, that's a big part of how big tech got so big. Um, and so they want to kind of zero in on these. And so uh, when you think about it, uh, that means they could bring a lot of these uh, guidelines to bear. Um, you know, there are a ton of different kinds of tech deals. So what's really standing out to me, uh, that uh, multi-sided platform section that Flavia mentioned, that's really aimed at tech and, and, and you know, maybe a few other industries like credit cards. Uh, but really, you know, if you think of that as the big tech section, I think that's pretty reasonable. What exactly is a, a multi-sided platform? Uh, so think about how you have riders on one side of Uber and drivers on the other, you know, side, quote unquote, or or app developers and iPhone users. What's interesting to me about this analysis is that it's not really horizontal, it's not really vertical, it's not really all these terms that we've kind of gotten used to. And so this is really kind of new to the agency's formal analysis. And we don't really know how they're going to bring the case law to bear, the case law that exists on this analysis. And we don't really know where it's going to go, you know, if it might be a hit with courts, all all of those kinds of things. So I think uh, the, the multi-sided platform issue is definitely one to watch. As I think Flavia also mentioned, we've been hearing a lot about already concentrated industries and already dominant firms. And, you know, it, it, it's just in the way we talk about this. It's big tech. It's right. These are dominant players. Um, these are often markets where you have basically one one big firm. And so I think that those parts of the guidelines could really provide hooks for for a con or a canter or whoever comes in the future to, to really dig into tech acquisitions and, and potentially give them a really hard time. Um, uh, those are kind of the main things, but I've also been looking at that serial acquisitions section. Um, that's definitely something that tech does do. Um, but interestingly, it's something that private equity does. And, you know, I'm sure um, our listeners are aware of the huge role that, that PE plays in the Silicon Valley funding ecosystem and funding pipeline. Um, and so you think of that maybe as a, almost as a bank shot into tech. Um, and, and, and part of all of these ways that the agencies could kind of be uh, sinking their teeth into uh, tech deals in the future. Now, Ilana, of course, there have been other efforts by the agencies that have increased the burden on merging parties. Can you talk about those efforts? Sure, I can do that. 
So last month, the FTC and the DOJ proposed a significant expansion of pre-merger notification forms. So those forms are currently mandatory for merging parties with a U.S. presence um, for those deals that are worth north of $111.4 million. And that rule is derived from the Hart-Scott-Rodino Antitrust Improvements Act, which is why these forms are commonly known as HSR forms. So anyhow, the new HSR forms should be read alongside the new merger guidelines because both documents are designed to accomplish the same goal. And that goal is to expand the ability of the agencies to investigate and challenge non-horizontal mergers that they view as a threat to competition. The new HSR form really complements the guidelines. It asks questions that relate to the deal evaluation standards that were laid out in the guidelines. So the HSR and the guidelines are absolutely parallel initiatives. One good example of how well aligned the new HSR form is with the new guidelines is that the new HSR form demands much more information than the old form did about prior acquisitions that are similar to the proposed merger. So the reason for that broadened question is clearly because of concerns that the agency has about industry roll-ups where a single company buys up all of the major players in the sector and thereby creates a monopoly. Taken together, the new form and the new guidelines allow the agencies to explore non-traditional theories of harm that the agencies have explicitly stated are a high priority. That includes risks that a merger might hurt workers' job prospects or squash future competition. Flavia, Ilana, Ben, it has been great talking to you. Thank you so much for keeping us up to date on these developments. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks, James. And that was Flavia Fortes, Ben Brody, and Ilana Kowarski, who cover mergers and acquisitions for MLEX. And their analysis of the new FTC and DOJ guidelines is ready for you to read and enjoy. You'll find it at the usual page, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. If you click on the News Hub tab, you'll have access to the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. There's also an archive of podcasts, which hopefully will keep you going throughout the hot Northern Hemisphere summer. And speaking of summer, the podcast will be taking a break for a few weeks to give our reporters and marketing team a chance to catch their collective breath. We should be back in your feed in late August or early September at the very latest. And for those who are taking a break, enjoy the time off. I hope to be able to speak to you again very, very soon. But don't forget that MLEX's editorial team will continue in its coverage of the biggest regulatory stories, no matter what time of the year it is. The MLEX podcast is produced and presented by me, James Paniki. Our marketing team in London gets it from the MP3 file into your headsets. And our executive producer is Richard Thompson. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company today. Bye for now.